It's our fifth season with the Railers, a monumental season, but it's also the 25th season of pro hockey in Worcester between the Ice Cats, Sharks, and Railers. So our fan base is celebrating that. That was COO of the Worcester Railers, Mike Myers, joining us on another episode of RinkWise. Good afternoon, hockey fans, and welcome back to another edition of RinkWise, New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Joining us in studio today is the current COO of the Worcester Railers, Mike Myers. Mike, thanks so much for joining us in studio today. And why don't we start with the Worcester Railers? So, so far, how is the season going for you guys? Well, it's our fifth season with the uh, the Railers, so I a monumental season, but it's also the 25th season of pro hockey in Worcester between the Ice Cats, Sharks, and Railers. So again, our our fan base is celebrating that. We have a couple special theme nights to celebrate that. And uh, yeah, the team got off to a great start. We've got a new coach and GM in Jordan Lavalley Smotherman, Westboro native, and, uh, and was our captain and leading scorer last year. And uh, yeah, he led the team to a 9-0 and start, which is the best record in ECHL history breaking the 8-0 mark by the Trenton Titans. And I'm going to blank on the second team, but it, it was a 20-year-old record. And yeah, it was very fun to be a part of. Something that I'll always remember. It was, it was a good run. We were hoping to go 10 at least. But yeah, the team started off well and, and really have a good group of guys. And our, our Islanders prospects that are, are in the lineup have really complimented our ECHL and I really feel like we've put together a winning product on and off the ice. A lot of really good character guys helping out in the community, which is a big part of what we do as well. It's pretty impressive. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. We'll take it. We'll, we'll hope that that continues on for the season. No doubt. No doubt. Mike, I know you have a lot of experience in the hockey world, all, all different levels, a lot of great stories and we can't wait to hear. And we know you love to talk about hockey. I, I like to talk, yeah. <laughs> I do love hockey. Well, you're definitely in the right place. So why don't we just start right from the beginning? So the Worcester Railers, and you've had a lot of different roles there. Why don't you kind of help explain a little bit what it is, what you do there, help our audience have a better understanding? Yeah, so I mean, prior to the to the Railers, I, I worked all nine years that the Worcester Sharks and San Jose's AHL affiliate were in Worcester. And when we moved the team out, to San Jose in 2015, the summer of 2015, Worcester was left with no team. Some of the teams had replacement ECHL teams come in like Manchester, but we were left with no team in the city and we made the choice as a family not to move to San Jose. And luckily we had our owner, our current owner, Cliff Rucker, come into town and and was looking to bring a minor league hockey team back to Worcester. We met in December of 2015 and the ECHL Board of Governors approved the expansion in January of 2016. And I think my first day officially on the job, we had a press conference in February uh, 8th of 2016. And then I started on March 1st. And it's been full tilt ever since. Whirlwind of hockey pretty yeah. much ever since. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was we had, uh, we had a, a neat sort of once-in-a-lifetime chance to really build something in a place that had had pre-existing teams but were never as homegrown so it, it it enabled us the chance to really decide what our what we wanted to look like as an organization and and one of the things that's always been near and dear to my heart and even my time with the sharks and how I got into the pro side of sports is community relations so we we really built our community relations team and outreach from day 1 
being 2016 and early in 2016, March in 2016, we weren't playing our first game until October of 2017. So we had this 20-month runway to sort of build all the logos and the brand and mascot and uh, sort of build a team without a team. There were no players. We did hire our, our coach GM at the time was Jamie Russell. We hired him in September of 2016. So there was a, a very Jake line to the, to the buildup for opening night. That was a, like I said, very once in a lifetime for me. I'm a designer by, by nature. So I was able to create logos and jersey and uniform design to just the basic feel of our brand so it was just for me a a unique experience with no games also so you had this a different uh amount the focus was all off ice and really building that trust in the community educating the the community about the team and us coming in and and at the same time our owner was was building his property portfolio, which I don't think was in his original plan, but started buying certain properties around the Railers home rink, which is the DCU Center. One of the first projects he really got roped into, and I, I joke about that, but it was the, is now the Fidelity Bank Worcester Ice Center, which is hugely successful, and, a, and now a hub of hockey in Central Mass. And that was one of the first projects, and it was he was brought into that in March of 2016 right when we were getting going and and it was a it was a it was a project so he building all these things with the team as a nucleus has really sort of helped grow not just the Railers brand but the, the game of hockey our junior Railers program and then we brought in with the with the Odessas brought in the Railers junior hockey club and the EHL and a premier team so now we have over at the ice center you have learned to skate all the way up through 20 year old playing junior hockey and then you have the pro team so we really feel like we have an all-encompassing sort of hockey family that was built from scratch so it was a it was just a, a neat thing to be a part of and something we're very proud of oh that's that's super <clears throat> cool and it sounds like you've worn literally every hat possible in that project and have been part of almost every aspect of building the program up from from the ground up and that is just a really unique thing to be part of it is, yeah. It's uh, from from my for myself personally. I'm a, I'm a hockey guy at heart. I've coached at a number of different levels and played through college and and have enjoyed the sport at from the time I was little all the way through today. And now I'm a hockey dad, so I'm at the other end of it. And and to be able to really, like you said, wear all those hats and be part of building a rink and and adding in the perspective of the pro team and what we what our needs are and unique needs are and also being a Worcester resident and saying this is something that our city needs and adding different touches to it that have that perspective and then also being a hockey dad and saying this is what we've needed in this city for so long and so I think I was able to contribute from a bunch of different angles and and honest perspectives and and I think that was helpful for me when sort of helping I hope I helped. I, I'm sure I made some goofy decisions along the way, but uh, at the end of the day, it was it was it was a unique situation being part of all those projects all at once, and something. And I'll look back on it some point and say, "Wow, that was pretty neat." A special connection for sure. And you joked about the being roped into the Fidelity project and yeah. in terms of that being constructed. And that's just an incredible setup now. I mean, if, if anyone's been over there, it's just really, it, it's a great rank and what a setup that is. It is. You know, and, and, uh, and I think as you, as you look at the rinks in the area and for people who've grown up 
playing in New England, I think you got used to some of the MDC ranks and uh, and you'd go to different towns and, and it would be a single sheet and you'd go in there and you wouldn't know if the pro shop was going to be the open or if their snack, snack shack was going to be there or it might just be a window that opens up and instead you walk into this 100-foot ceiling vestibule. It's kept extremely clean. It's It's got just a nice vibe to it. It's tons of activity. We tried not to make anything too tacky with sponsorship things everywhere and but now Bay State Brewing Company is in there so you have a you have an actual craft beer being brewed on site they have off the rails as one of the one of their beers they have things that are very local to Central Mass and Worcester proper and 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 then you have two nice sheets well lit center hung scoreboards good clean locker rooms they keep like I said they keep it very clean and I think it really and then Bando Performance being upstairs and having an elite level training facility and Charlie and his crew doing the job that they do. They work with our team. They work with the junior teams. They work with the youth hockey teams and it's, and they work with our guys and other pro guys in the area in the off season to be able to offer that in a downtown setting is so unique. And actually, as we're speaking, I'm missing my, our first skate to success that I've missed this year. We have a, we have a youth, I'm sorry, a community initiative called Skate to Success that is really our, our flagship community program. And it's something that when we were starting the team and, and building the rink that we felt would be unique to our team because most minor league teams don't really have control of their practice facility. And so we actually built this program to create a learn to skate program for fourth graders in the Worcester public school system. So we, uh, we bust them in and everybody gets a Jersey. It's, uh, we have a, a number of great sponsors that come both as both financially and volunteer wise, they come and help out and, uh, and the kids get off the bus, they come upstairs. They uh, will, if we have players in town, we'll have players there introducing themselves. <clears throat> they get to do a little question and answer. We, we give them the, the rules of the, the what we're going to do the next hour. And then we get them skates, helmets, and the jersey they get to keep. And they go out on the ice for an hour. We get the music playing. We have skate aids all over the ice. We have these big seals and uh, different buckets. And the kids have a blast. I'd say 80% had probably never, maybe more, have not depending on the school in the area, have not even been on the ice before. A lot of roller skated. So, but we chose fourth grade for a reason and and it's proven to be the best decision we made because these kids get out there they they try it they fall but they're they're too proud to to cry about it they all want to get up and show their classmates they can do it and they just keep at it so by the end of the hour you get most of the kids skating around and and then we get them off and bay state brewing company provides pizza for everybody chef sid whips up tons of pizza the kids have a great time and no beers, although the, 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 all the teachers ask every single time <laughs> if the taps are on. But yeah, so that's something that we provide at no cost through our, through our foundation and our sponsors. We're able to provide that, and it's been hugely successful. It's been written up. USA Hockey Magazine did a little article on it. The NHL recognized it as the ECHL Community Program of the Year, and it's helped us really reach out to communities that are maybe underserved or really look at hockey as this a sport that maybe not might not be for them so one of the nice things about having a 
a, a rink in the in the downtown footprint is that you can do that and you can provide access to those kids. So it's something we're extremely proud of, and it's really led to us winning the community service award for the ECHL four years in a row. So that, and we take great pride in it. So I'm actually feeling guilty not being there today, but we have a great team that can, I'm sure, do a better job than I do. Well, that all sounds incredible, and I think a good a good excuse or a good reason to share your story and your your insight. And again, just really incredible just to listen to all that. Just what what outreach you guys have created in the community, and also really just showing the incredible impact the hockey world can have in the overall community, and just what an incredible thing that you guys are doing for so many young youth athletes in that community in Worcester. Yeah, I mean, and even beyond the the athletes, and something that I think the pandemic has really exposed is a lot of these kids really became inactive. And not just organized sports, but just that that backyard athleticism, the fluency and learning how to catch a ball and, and just running and climbing trees, doing whatever. And so getting these kids out last year when we restarted it, that was the biggest feedback we got was, wow, these kids really are enjoying the physicality of it and uh, so yeah to be able to provide that i think is 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 a really fun part of what what we do but it's also i think really important i think it's it speaks to the i belong i'm this is not just for these kids and about a month ago early november we hosted our our annual kids school day game it's a 10 a.m start the guys they all they always say it's the loudest game of the year that's just super high-pitched we had close to 6,000 Worcester Public School kids, along with some of our other fans who, who decided to play hooky that day. And uh, we just banged out the building, had a great win, exciting win. And it again, we provided buses and transportation and uh, subsidized tickets if needed and, and really sort of stuck to our mission statement, which is providing access to youth in the Worcester, greater Worcester, Central Mass area. And uh, yeah, they have a blast and it exposes them to this game and you see them with their skate to success jerseys. So they've been part of us doing that on the ice. And so it really comes full circle and it, and it, and it allows us to really give back to the community and, and include everybody that may not normally have access to a, a professional sporting event. So as you guys know, as you get to the major league markets, it's untouchable even for middle-class families to go multiple times in a year. So this this provides that sort of entertainment, that, that experience that they may not normally get. And we're very proud of the fact that we're able to help provide at least a little bit of that. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Want to improve your hockey skills? Join the pros and try Sense Arena Hockey a VR training tool available for both players and goalies. Elevate your game by improving your decision-making read-and-react skills. Train in-game scenario reps with Sense Arena to improve your hockey IQ. Reaction time, puck tracking ability, use of peripheral vision, anytime, anywhere. Play and train in over 500 different game-like scenarios. Don't miss our holiday deal. Save over $500 and get the MetaQuest 2 for free with the purchase of an annual plan. To take advantage of this offer, visit hockey.sensearena.com. That's hockey.sensearena.com. Sense Arena Hockey, training the next generation. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. 
the Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. The stakes certainly do get higher as you you age up and getting a little silly. And I'm sure we can talk about that when we talk more about the minor hockey. But again, just we applaud you for just what an effort that you guys have made an impact in the community in Worcester. And it really is just an incredible setup and environment there. And so if you haven't had a chance to to check it out, you should. It's just really kind of unique. I mean, who would have thought that hockey parents would have loved a, a beer garden next to the rink? I mean, what what an innovative idea. Who would have thought that that was? Well, it's funny, when it was first built, we had a we had a restaurant called Nona's. Our, our, our owners, Cliff and Susan Rucker, Cliff's, Cliff's mother-in-law is... And it, it, an Italian woman from from Somerville had all these recipes and just this, she was known on. She was like central casting, couldn't have picked a more perfect character. And she and so they wanted to really honor her and it had this great sign. And but the 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 reality was Worcester has a lot of great Italian restaurants, some great Italian families and, and heritage. So if you want to go to Italian, there's Shrewsbury Street and we have everything you can imagine. So the the cell there was, I think, a little a little tougher. Weren't getting the external people coming there. The people that went to the rink appreciated it, but it wasn't the right setup. So a couple of one one in particular, Sean Rich, who was a junior railer dad, spent many hours up in the the upstairs watching his son's practice at Nona's. Said he he had he had a business based state brewing that it was being brewed on on his uh, so he's like i think we can do this and unfortunately he launched in february of 2020 which was not a great time but they were able to actually sort of make their way slowly and and figure things out so by the time the the restrictions were lifted they were full full bore they had their their recipes dialed in and and were brewing full-time they're doing curbside pickup and now actually somebody came up to cliff our owner and said said tap room in a hockey rink he goes that's genius it's like beer and hockey what what two things don't go better together and and so he kind of chuckled and said well that wasn't by design it was it was by default and and that's how we caught lightning in a bottle there i think they're they're doing a great job and for anybody who hasn't checked it out it's it's definitely worth checking out they do great things during like oktoberfest they he's got extensive experience with with bavarian beers and and we've been longtime friends and actually played men's league together so it's been fun watching them have this success that they've had. Yeah, fun environment for sure. And I think talking a little bit about you, we didn't get to get to it in the introduction, but so you are from this area. I'm actually from Washington, D.C. originally. So I came up to go to Assumption College, 
which is now Assumption University, and and also just recently moved into the Fidelity Bank Worcester Ice Center as one of our tenants. So, and they won the any ten championship last year. So go Hounds! But yeah, I, I didn't. I moved up here to go to college, and I met my wife, and now we live about a third of a mile off campus. So kind of crazy full circle that's great so after after college yep. stayed here locally stayed in new england and uh, have been involved with almost every aspect it sounds like with worcester the community and hockey in general yeah it uh, we right after college it, we moved uh, my wife is a guidance counselor and so she was uh working in somerville and we were living in west newton i was commuting to worcester and i started my i started myers mass design goalie mass design business and wanted to use my artistic abilities to launch this business. I was approached by a local Worcester business guy that was a goalie, and away we went. And uh, yeah, it's it was a it was a great ride, and something that was I went for eleven years. Had a lot of great great clients over the years, and a lot of great funny stories. And but you know it it after a while it took a toll on me, and I was, I, I was looking to sort of expand. I started. On the side, I was coaching. I was assistant coach at Assumption for the early 2000s. And then I got the opportunity in 2006 to go work for the Worcester Sharks in the AHL. So it was a, it was a risk. I, I, I was really, I look back at that time and it was a, it was a risk. I felt like I was losing, I was potentially going to lose my identity. I was the, I was the mask guy. I, this is what, when we went to, you caught up with your college friends, that's what everybody asked about. And so I was definitely worried about that. Although it still comes up, it still comes up daily. I get solicited to paint people's masks all the time. I'll do a couple here and there for charity, just for fun and just to get the dust off a little bit, get some rust out. No, that's cool. And we were going to mention that about the the mass and the Myers mass design. So yeah. very creative name. But so talk a little bit more about that. So you also won an award with Sports Illustrated as one of the top NHL mass. Yeah, a while ago. <laughs> so is that still in business? Is that still it's not? No, I actually because I was the it was myself and my partner slash apprentice Jesse Achaka who's still painting masks with Jesse's custom design and he's an unreal artist and somebody I plucked out of Butera Art School when he was eighteen and we had a long run together and had a great time, but he's still going and it's such a unique niche business that. There really wasn't, I basically moved the book of business to him. And it's not something that, it's not, not every artist can do this. It's it's a very unique arts or medium to, to work in. And you have to really have some, some hockey background, goalie background helps. But yeah, so we closed the doors, right? But September of 2006, right as we were getting in, getting ready for our first season with the Worcester Sharks. And I still still have access to different shops that I can jump in and, like I said, do you know a mass for charity things like that. And we had a number of different ones that we did over the years with the Sharks. But yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was a great run. We covered a lot of the hockey goalies over those years. Some of them we had as youth hockey players all the way through the time where they turned pro. So that was that was kind of neat. Guys like Corey Schneider, who was junior terrier when he was younger, to Andover to UMass, and then he moves on, and now he's. We're still in touch. He's working in the island with the Bridgeport Islanders, and and who we're affiliated with. So, it's all it's it's funny how many things come full circle. But that's certainly starting that business and getting to know so many of those guys and the equipment managers and and different staffs throughout 
whether it's college or pro hockey, have served me in my current role because I still have those same connections and can reach out. And, and it's definitely a unique, it's a unique relationships that I've had with them because it's not so, not so white collar. It's more from the back end. It's more, I worked on the, the equipment side of things, which most people in the front office or in, in management don't really know those guys from that end. So it's, it definitely has helped, especially with some of the veteran guys that are a little grizzled and they, they're a little more skeptical with the, with the management types. I get a little more street cred, I think. Yeah, a man of many talents indeed. And again, just an, a great example of sometimes the, the guy in charge, the COO, the president can literally do any job, any task imaginable, including equipment or driving the Zamboni to running a very successful team. And I'm sure just great to have that skill work in your back pocket as well. And Again, I think a great example of how important the networking was and making those connections, especially a little bit younger in your career. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, the one thing it's always taught me, and I think the one thing I've, and I don't know if it was something I developed or something that's innate, but I've always felt that, and I use this quote, and I, I, people who have used it will probably roll their eyes because I've said it enough, but if you're too big to do the small things, you're too small to do the big things. And I've kind of lived my life like that where, Perfect example, we had a kids' day game, and the we had graphics that were supposed to be drawn by kids that were getting put up for headshots, and they didn't get done correctly, and it's two hours before game time, and I'm coloring in with, like, colored pencils, and, and I got an intern there. He goes, if you had told me I was going to be doing arts and crafts with the COO of a this pro hockey team before a game and it just kind of and I told him I said listen if, if this if I don't do this it doesn't get done and then we miss that part of it so if it's it is nice I like I love the fact that I've been able to utilize a lot of my different skill sets and really maximize I don't really have one seat on the bus I try to really spread it to where it's maximized which again shifting roles and and things like that you want to make sure that you have your talent doing the the job they're best at and and maximize each person's potential so i think i've sort of done that step by step and i've when i even when i started with the with the sharks i was in one role and within six months they realized that that was i was probably pigeonholed a little bit so i started doing corporate sales and then uh, with my business background, I like, you should take over all our licensing and retail. So I went over merchandise. So little by little, as you sort of, whether it's community relations or the merchandise, I wanted to make that the best in the league. I wanted to be the best at that. And if I was the best at that, then I would be able to get to the other side, which corporate sales or, or merchandise or the whatever it was that I was sort of expanding to. And, and of course, my ultimate goal was to get on the hockey side, which ironically, I was heading in the complete opposite direction. So for the first time after all these years, I've actually been able to merge it a little more and, and have stepped over onto the hockey side a little more. But it's based on all those relationships and people that were that I was reporting to and making an impression and proving what I could do and and uh, and hopefully they saw the potential or or believed in me and I'm eternally grateful to our owner for when when he came into town and uh, taking a chance on me and, and and I think we've built something that we're all going to be proud of when we look at when the when the story gets written that that we'll look it back on this chapter and say this was we did things the right way from day one and we we stayed true and I think that's kind of the way I've, 
I've lived my life chapter by chapter. I, it's definitely been the most crooked, convoluted way to get to where I am. That I think when kids come out of, I, I get asked to do a lot of interviews for kids doing their like senior projects for sports management and things. And and when I talk about my career path, I, I'm like, I didn't get a sports management degree. I have a psych in Spanish with a minor in art. Like I. I, I, I just sort of felt my way through it and followed my passions. And the one thing that's been the common thread has been hockey. I think that's really awesome to hear. Your, your career really evolved quickly and in different ways. But it's, it's also, I think, just great for people just to hear different paths and how people achieved what they did or success. Because I think we can say a lot about that as well with the athletic development process, whether it's playing at a high level and how people got there. But just this this show is all about hockey and, and just hearing different career paths and how people got there. I think it's it's wonderful. And just someone who's worked really hard, had a vision, found a way to get there, to get there and great leadership along the way as well. Yeah, I mean I mean you're you're involved in, in whether it's junior hockey or whatever you, you see these people that are sort of mainstays and we lost a great one in Mike Odessa last week. And if you look at these people and what they've been through, whether grinding it out, doing skills sessions at a young age and, and sort of building a name or or building a, a program from scratch and, and really going through hard times to sort of get to where they are. You think of guys like Timmy Lovell and things like where where there's so much passion behind the hard work that it's great to see people get rewarded for that hard work. But I think hockey is one of those industries, whether that's college, pro, minor, youth hockey, where if you put in the work and you show that you're passionate you're and you're a good person, I think people will be attracted to that. And, and we have so many, if you look at New England now, with just so many growing programs and rinks and ownership groups that that are coming out because it's thriving and and people kids are playing it and i'd like to see more people trying to make it more affordable for for the kids so it, it's becoming so out of reach for so many of the kids and that we're going to lose those those top athletes to other sports that we've We've been seeing that for years, but I, I really think it is something that I'd like to see happen more with all these people that are so passionate about it, that do all the work, that it's not just a cash grab, that they're looking to do a little more give back. I think that's what we've tried to do as much as possible with the Railers and as a as a whole organization, everybody under the umbrella to really pr- provide that access. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk more about the minor hockey scene, if you will, because it's... It's, I think that's a great point. It's, it's especially in the younger levels, hockey, as we know, it does get expensive and especially the more competitive you get, the yeah. older you get and the, the window starts to get a little bit smaller. And why don't we talk about that? Like, where do you think minor hockey is at right now? What direction you think it's heading? <laughs> that's we, a loaded question. I'm not sure I, we have enough time on the show, yeah, but exactly. we'll, we'll cover what we can. We'll go into next week through that one. But <laughs> the, I think I, I think there's a lot of, I try to, I'm definitely glass half full guy where I, I'd like to look at how positive things are going. I think we're producing a lot of great talent to the next levels. I think you're seeing a lot of local kids doing well, whether it's the national program or committing to great local hockey East colleges and, and, and beyond. But if you sort of peel the onion back a little bit and, and start looking at 
where can we be better? And I think it really does come down to the affordability, access to ice time for not just the elite and the, the people who can afford it, but just opening the sport to just a wider wider net so that we can attract those better athletes, those those kids that, that might might miss the cut because they think it's just it's not for them. It's not it's it's too it's too expensive. And I'm not talking about the 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 poor or the poor or or whatever. This is hard on middle class and and working class families that that would normally have, have grown up playing hockey. Maybe their their parents did or their dad did or their their cousins did or whatever. They're we're talking about people that we when you see people applying for the financial aid programs for all these youth hockey teams, there needs to be there needs to be more of an infrastructure for it. And I know the NHL is is working hard to to get the learn to play programs up and running and the the equipment purchases you see more and more of those bags the starter kits and i know kevin westgarth in the in the nhl office has been doing a great job with that and uh, and we've actually worked with with them to start seeing how we can connect at the echl level and the, the teams in the ahl as well to really help that be tentacles off their network so it's not just major markets it's these non-traditional smaller ho- hockey markets that might need a little just a little fund money or seed money to get these local youth hockey teams going. We're blessed in Central Mass. It's become such a hub for youth hockey with the New England Sports Center. Now that was Fidelity Bank Worcester Ice Center. You got the North Star Youth Forum. You have these multi-sheet facilities within 13 miles of each other that really provide the ability to host tournaments, massive tournaments, showcases, all these things for teams all over the country. So that if you live in the area, you're not... You're not having to fly to Detroit or to Chicago or whatever, or if you do, it's one time or in, and that's helpful, but you know, there's kids living in non-traditional markets that are flying up from Florida and, and you you hear these crazy stories about how much these parents are paying and, uh, and it's, it's out of reach for most people. And it's not just some people, it's most people can't afford that or don't feel that that's something that's within their family budget, that they're going to mortgage their whole family's future based on their kids' youth hockey glory. So I do think accessibility and affordability would be the, the, my biggest gripe for where we are. But as far as state of the, the, the state of play in the area, I think we've seen that on the rise. I know there's been talk about the, whether it's ADM and things being implemented more strictly here in New England, I think, I think we do a good job. I think the cross ice hockey being introduced in the late two thousands, I think, really sort of helped people sort of accepting now. Now it's commonplace. Everybody loves the small area games, things like that. That maybe in early two thousands sort of frowned upon. Everyone wanted the kids playing full ice, and now they shrunk the nets down. I think there are a lot of improvements that USA Hockey has put into place that have have taken the game forward and made it more enjoyable for the young kids. So I think we're on ice and the and the developmental piece. I think they're on the right track. I think parents in the stands and the craziness between coaches and refs and parents and refs, I think that needs to be addressed. Again, we could go down that rabbit hole for a whole week and, and still not come up with a solution, but I'd love to see some of that come to an end and people get a grip on reality and realize that this is this is a sport. I, I just said it to our guys who are at the minor pro level, and I said one of the things they're blessed with is the ability to play the game they love at this stage in their life where 99% of the people they grew up playing with are done playing. 
they're working in, in an office, in a mill, and, and wherever, and they're still going and to enjoy every moment that they're playing. And I say that the same to them as I'd say to my 12-year-old team where people are so obsessed with where they're going to be the next year, the next year, I need to be on this team. I got to go forward, forward, forward. And they're thinking two, three, four years in, in advance that the kid doesn't get to enjoy the, the present. So I think that's my biggest thing when working with whether coaches and teams or, or, or players is, is really having them focus on enjoying the present. And if they take care of the present, that the future will take care of itself. And I think that we lose sight of that sometimes. People are, I need to be committed by this time. I need to be, I need to be going to this school. I need to go here or be in this program. And I think we get hyper focused on that instead of just being really good at what you do. And if you do that, whether it's in the front office, on ice, or behind the bench, you'll get to your next level because you'll prove yourself at the level you're at. So that's kind of the it's the way I. I've always sort of taken it for myself personally and the way I would, I'd like to see youth hockey go in that direction. But I know it's a, it's a, it's a big beast that's tough to tame. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M.com. You can learn to skate fast. Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Keith Yandel, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978 807 4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? I want to let you know about a great team that is training the next generation of hockey players. It's Bando Performance. Their experts work with hockey players at all levels, from youngsters to Olympians right on up to the pros. And I'm going to tell you how to get a great deal with them in just a sec. Bando Performance's small classes ensure the best odds for success for athletes looking to increase power and performance as well as their nutrition and health. It has the same high-tech equipment you'll find in NHL weight rooms that hockey players use to increase their strength, speed, and power. I told you I could save you some money on this, so listen up. Go to bando-performance.com and pick a training program that's right for you. And this is the good part. For rink-wise listeners... Use the discount code BANDO30OFF to get a 30% discount. That's BANDO-PERFORMANCE.COM with the code BANDO30OFF 
and see your performance improve immediately. Things have changed so much. And one of the points I think that you just finished with was the increased pressure, I think, that's on not only players, but families. And I think that that also coincides with the amount of money that they can be spending on seasons. And we're lucky that we're in New England where the travel factor isn't necessarily as high as it might be if you lived in Florida playing youth hockey. But you look at some of these teams here and the amount of travel they're doing, and you have to kind of ask yourself, is it necessary for a U10 team to be doing five travel tournaments? And parents could be spanning anywheres easily. The numbers I hear, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 just on travel and hotels. And is it necessary? Probably not. And yeah. is it a direction that we need to keep going? I, I couldn't agree more that I don't think it, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I, I think, especially if you're living in, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm from Washington, D.C. When I was growing up, to get to the next closest team that was competitive, you'd, you were driving up to New Jersey to play the Rockets or New York to play Applecore or, or, or whatever. We didn't have anybody in the direct area. It's grown in all these different markets more and more, but you see, and actually part of our our decision not to move to San Jose at the time I had three kids in youth hockey all coming through. And I just heard the numbers that they were talking about 30 plus thousand dollars a kid for hockey and, and, and per year. And I, and I I just couldn't fathom the the amount of travel working for a pro team. It's just, it's not fat. It's not possible for me. So when you're in a area like we are, that's so densely populated with quality, not just, teams but and access but good teams and the ability to to play at whatever level you're at and i think that's the main thing is that we we are blessed with the ability to if you're a a level player you're going to be there if you're b c d whatever you are there's a place for you to play and i don't think i think if a team is 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 led by somebody that's got their their bearings and 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 is grounded I think they're, they're reasonable enough to realize that, yeah, if you want to pick one travel tournament to make an experience for your team, by all means, I think that's, that's an important part of the, the process of being a hockey player. You're staying in the hotel and the kids get to run around and play knee hockey. And they, I think that's a part of the experience. I don't think you need to do it five times. You become desensitized. It's the same with summer tournaments. These kids are doing it every weekend. I say it all the time. I have three boys that play if, and I tell them they get to choose one tournament and one skill session for the whole summer. That's it. And cause they could play from April through August every weekend. And, uh, and it's just not for us personally, what we want to do. They work on their skill development they work on their other stuff. And I want them away from the rink for a while and they can do their other stuff and play other things. I'm not naive enough to think that they can, especially my older boys, can turn off the hockey switch because it is. It's become a 365-day-a-year training cycle, and and that's what they choose to do. But I also don't have to feed into paying all the money in the world to go to showcases and tournaments and private lessons and, and all this craziness if just because just to keep up with the Joneses. And, and, and I think that's what families, especially non-hockey families. So it, if I, and I, and that may be judgmental, but I feel like when you have families that maybe are coming from other sports and didn't play it growing up at a high level, I think you, they feel that if they don't do this, they're going to miss out on something that this is somehow the way that 
that this kid did it and he got to the NHL and 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 this kid did it and he played in hockey east and and they feel that that immense pressure and I feel it as a parent and I'm in it and it's like I I look at my youngest son's team which is coached by somebody who's been a long time NHL scout we have kids on the team that have parents have coached in the NHL that a hockey east coach two two hockey east coach one on the women's side one on the men's and to see how grounded they are and, and how expectations are set is so different than when you're surrounded by people who don't know the game because they know that they trust in their abilities to develop the kids, expose them to the right competition. They don't need to travel a million miles a year to, to, to seek out this, this glory at 12 years old. They're looking to develop the kids. Wins and losses are it's great to win, but... You know, the, if the kids are competing and whatever, they're not. They don't feel like they failed, and and I think that's such an important piece where they they learn these lessons that it's about the development, the skill development, the 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 thrill of competing, and not just dominating. I just had a conversation out in the lobby here, just talking about some of these these super teams that are out there and the the goalies that play for them, and and these guys get like five to ten shots, literally five to ten shots a game because they're crushing teams and it's like that doesn't do the forwards the d or the goalies any good so i feel like it's like the yukon women's basketball team in their heyday it's like it's there's no competition there's no thrill to it so i really like the way uh, my youngest son's being coached i really feel like it's the way that i wish more people would see that and and not feel that pressure it's very hard to educate some of these parents that have been sort of brainwashed into thinking that there's this is the only way to do it I can tell you as a, as somebody who works in the industry and 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 has coached at, at many levels, I was shocked when my oldest, when we made a decision for in his hockey like journey to not go to prep at the time or to juniors and we kept him at St. John Shrewsbury and people these people had never had no hockey experience telling me what I needed to do to my with my son to make to get him to the next level. And I was just shocked at how openly they gave me advice. And instead, he, he was able to stay, be a captain, learn how to be a leader, be part of a school community. And it was the best decision he ever made. He ended up going on playing junior hockey. Now he's playing college hockey. And, and I look back, and these, these people are still chasing some crazy dream and, and spending millions of dollars on, on chasing these dreams. And, and at, the end of the, at the end of the day... I think it's the there's just this anxiety that has been created by trying to keep up with the Joneses. And we need to, I think the more and more people that speak up against it and do the opposite, I think the better off we'll be. Well, I think it's certainly a reality and not judgmental at all. I think it's I think it's a fact. And when we kind of look at athletes and we try to just simplify things, I think it's such an accurate statement of maybe some former athletes that have kids coming up with it now. They're they're sort of more laid back just because oh, yeah. we know that it's especially the hockey is such a long development process and oftentimes when I'm helping guiding young athletes I always say, whatever level you want to play at, you have to be working to get better every single year. And when they tell me what they're doing, well, we're doing this tournament, that tournament, this, this is, and I'm like, well, that's that's not what I asked. Yeah. What are you doing to actually get better? And it's, yeah, I've experienced it. There are some families, and I don't want to call them out on the show, but they're, they're doing a great job because they're sort of going against the grain yeah. and they're focusing on the things that really make athletes better, i.e. skills, training, 
shutting them down, giving them proper rest, which is huge, especially in the off season and focusing on things like strength and conditioning. And as we know, those are the things that are going to get you to whatever playing field that you want to someday. And you nailed it. I mean, that's that it's, it's focusing on the things you can't focus when you're playing games all the time, focusing on that off ice work, focusing on the strength training, getting those non-hockey muscles working and firing so that you're not just single plane and that you're not going to have an overuse injury down the road. And, and it is. It's a marathon. It's, it, when you look at these 12-year-olds that are, have these great aspirations and the parents still believe the NHL dream is in reach and, and you try to explain to them, they got eight years till they're in college. And it's a, it, that's a reality that the 20-year-old freshman is the norm, if not 21. So it's, it, it, if you're not ready for that long ride and you're not willing to put in that off-ice work and, and really trust the process and and love the grind like i i i people that are successful and you as well as anybody that it it's the people that love the process and love the grind that that make it it's the if you don't love putting in that work you're not gonna you you can't make it on talent alone you have to have the heart you have to have that passion and you have to have the discipline and and ability to understand where your weaknesses are and how to work on them and trust the people that you're surrounding yourself with, whether it's a, a bando performance and, and having them build a program and say, this is what I need to work on. This is where I feel like I'm falling short. Or if you have a skating coach that I need to work on my, my edge work, or I feel like I'm, I need better glide or whatever. If you're not focusing on those and you're going off and just playing tournaments every weekend, you're missing the boat. You're missing the boat, and uh, and you're you're playing into something that has become. I think it's like an epidemic. And I'm not saying that summer tournaments aren't fun, and you can. And like I said, you, if you do one or two here or there, that's great. But when it's your everyday routine, and you, when you you don't get a weekend, you don't go to the beach, you don't whatever, the season comes around like that, and and it's you realize that oh my gosh, I didn't work on my shot. I didn't work on my edge work. I didn't work on my my strength training. I didn't get any better. I, and then and, and that's where. I feel like parents are so hyper focused on being seen and playing that they miss the, the 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 development piece of it. And my favorite part is when people come to, and again, I don't claim to be any an expert in this or whatever, but when they come and they ask my opinion, <laughs> and then I start talking and I'm I say something that they don't want to hear, I literally see them shut off. You know, just you just, yeah, they just tune you out. That's not what I wanted to hear, and they and they leave, and they they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. So it's always it's always fun to have those conversations, and I'm pretty blunt, and I can get pretty sarcastic. So I have some fun at their expense at, at times. I bet you do, and <laughs> I think if we can engage people on from this conversation, then it's a success. Right. And I really enjoy listening to your perspective and, and feedback. So as a as a hockey fanatic, of course, <laughs> but you know, I think the culture is shifting and folks like us with the mindset that we have, it's, 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 it's becoming a little bit more further and, and far between. But I think it's also something to keep in mind that there's a lot of facts and data that support athletic development. Yeah. And I, I think simply put, until somebody can show me that playing 365 days a year will generate a more successful path for athletic development, I'll sit and have a conversation with you. But yeah. as of yet, I, I, have, I have yet to see that data. 
Yeah, because it doesn't exist. I think I, so. Yeah, I, I no, think that's the 100%, right answer. Yeah. And you know what? There's some intangibles that you can't can't really... There are certain tournaments and things that are done right that really are experiential and can can provide that sort of magic. But if it's just run of the mill, you're just going in and you're signed up and you're going to this tournament, you don't even know what the name is, that you're not going to get anything out of it. I do. I will share this one story. My Both my older boys were played and we always went to the tournaments we went to were based on high high ranked teams and 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 it was all about the hockey and no nobody in the pool and no water slide that this is we got games in the morning and and things like that and and it was so they were very hockey centric tournaments and and we never went to Lake Placid so with my youngest who was 2010 he was much younger than the older boys and the coach that I was coaching with, was, he said, we really like to do Lake Placid. And I said, it's, we've never done it, so we let's do it. And we went out, and we had the most incredible time. And the kids have all lived, grown up, watching Miracle and, and, and feel like they watched it live and were there for the real thing. They lit. We dressed in the Team USA hockey room for one of the games. They had the shootout competition. They had a they had a jamboree at the start with all the teams on the ice. They welcome them in and opening ceremonies. They, uh, they got to do all the pictures with all the memorabilia and stay in the lodge and go, went into town. And and I look back and I go, man, we really missed the boat with the older boys because we were chasing this crazy dream of we had to be doing this to play these teams. And, and these kids had an experience that I would say, he, that was a few years ago now, and, and I think he, overall, I think it, it's probably his peak youth hockey experience because it was experiential and it was a, and it was it was focused. He had time to think about it. He lived it. He was in the present. He wasn't thinking about what this meant for the rankings or where his team ended up at the end of the turn. I don't even remember how, who won the tournament. I, I really don't. And and so I think those type of things are experiential are important to build the love of the game. So that's more than just you playing at your local rank and things. So I do think it's important to find that balance but i think it's extremely important to really limit the amount of craziness that's that surrounds all these families with the anxiety of of this fomo like that if i'm not doing this then this guy's going to get an edge and so and my little little johnny's not going to get his scholarship and they have no idea just how long the path is and and uh, and that if they focus on the development that all things will fall in line and and you know what not everybody makes it not everybody gets a scholarship not everybody plays division 1 and not certainly not everybody plays pro hockey so those harsh realities come down the pike but uh, i would love to see us tame that a little bit keep families more local and and really sort of maximize their ability especially in new england where you don't have to travel so far that's just a, a great reminder to really just enjoy the moment and let the kids be kids, you know, really enjoy that youth experience. And for, for the players and the families, it goes by fast. Oh, so yeah. you really have to kind of stay in the moment and don't forget to just look around and just take in the experience and enjoy it. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely goes by fast. I know I'm getting old and stuff, but I look at my son as a, my oldest is a sophomore now and it's like, I can't, I, I still feel like I'm, just out of college, which I may be delusional, I know, but when I look at that, I think I'm we like, all feel like that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> just doesn't feel like it's years past, right? It's, it's crazy. Like yesterday. Yeah, it really is. And so when I see him, and he just got home for winter break last night, and it's like he was just so happy to be together as a family and and just kind of 
share those those memories again yeah it goes too quick so we try to slow it down a little bit and enjoy our time together really good perspective and as we said it's been so wonderful to have you on the show and just what wonderful dialogue yeah well thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun it's good that you don't like to talk much because yeah uh, especially I'm a, hockey I'm not a little passionate bit, a little bit of a wallflower so thanks for pulling it out of me yeah. Well, it's always wonderful to see somebody so passionate. And again, just w- wonderful perspective. I think just, again, anyone listening, it just it just provides, I think, good resources for parents. And there's a lot of families that really tune into this. And it's, it's a great opportunity for them to learn. And again, I think if we've we've hit some of those people, then this has been a big success. Absolutely. That's, that would be that'd be great. And as we said, I think this is episode one, hopefully of our series. I think we'll, we'll definitely have you back. I mean, there's so many things that we can continue talking about. And I think just brush the surface a little bit here today. But again, we, we, we thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been great. Thanks for having me. And we, we can't wait to con- continue to seeing you guys do great things in the community and do wonderful things for, for Worcester hockey. No, thanks, thanks again for having me. And uh, it's been a blast. That does it for this edition of RinkWise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal and subscribe online at NewEnglandHockeyJournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. RinkWise is a Siemens Media Production.